Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Yellow. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at How Stuff Works. Sitting next to me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hello from the world of tomorrow. <laughs> oh, no. You know, actually, it reminds me of a line from Spaceballs. Even in the future, nothing works. Right. So we're <laughs> going to talk about what the hell happened to the future. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we were talking about fun ideas for podcasts, and we decided we wanted to do something really fun, like... You know, all those, you know, the articles and the, the, uh, the Tex Avery cartoons, cartoons yeah. about the house of the future and the dog of the future and the, you know, the all kitchen the cool, of tomorrow. yeah, and the Jetsons and all the cool stuff we were going to have. Yeah. What the heck happened to that? Also, uh, yeah, nothing. I, I have a theory. Yeah. I have a theory that the future exists on a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, you have the Jetsons, where it's the happy future with the, you know, helpful robots and the flying cars. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got George Orwell's nightmarish dystopia, where uh, everything is very um, locked down and, and all the technology is used to keep the proletariat in line. And that's the spectrum of the future. And I kind of want to see by the end of this podcast where we think we are on that spectrum. Like, are we closer to the Orwell or are we closer to the shiny, happy Jetsons? You know, honestly, I have to say, um, and this is just a personal side that I, you know, like on the Ouija board, when you start wondering whether Mm. somebody is moving the uh, thing around intentionally, I have the feeling you're going to steer this direction in one particular, you know, way, but I'm not going to get there. I I will say that I will say there is a middle ground. It's called the Terminator. So the Terminator (laughs) is in between uh, Orwellian and uh, Jetsons. It's actually, I think, closer to Jetsons because it requires sentient robots. All right, then. Well, speaking of robots. Yeah, let's, okay, we'll go straight to robots. Okay. So where, where's my personal robot? Where's my robot butler? You don't, you want Rosie. I want, well, you know, I'll settle for Rosie. <laughs> that's just got not like, the really cash what I was, in her tummy. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, true. Pretty nice. Yeah, where's Rosie? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think the closest thing we might have is maybe Osimo. Osimo's pretty close. Osimo is, uh, Honda's robot. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, uh, the the neatest thing about Osimo recently is that it learned to run before uh-huh. it could, before it could just walk really fast. Uh, running is defined as the moment when you're propelling yourself forward and both feet leave contact with the ground for at least a split second. Wow! Yeah, Asimo can do That's that. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I was. By the way, that was one of my first articles here. Was how Asimo works. You know, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. That was before you were here. <laughs> yes, but I, I, you know, I've been told many oh, times okay. about all the articles you've ever I, written. I still have the uh, video uh, CD at my desk and I occasionally watch it because it, it brings a smile to my face. <laughs> yeah, Asimo's not much of a butler, but he is a pretty cool robot. He's and not sentient. He yes, he can conduct. conduct. He can conduct. He did conduct an orchestra. Yes. Um, but he can't make decisions. Uh, he can't do really anything on his own. You have to pre-program a lot of information in Asimo for him to work. He, he can recognize certain obstacles that are in his path and plan for them and move out of the way and he can climb stairs and things like that. Unlike a Dalek. But he can't, right. But he can't, he can't decide on things on his own. He can't make up his mind. Right. So there's, there's lack of sentience. We could talk about other robots too. I mean, there's the Roomba. Oh, that's true. You know, there, uh, there are these. Ibo? Helpful little robots that can do things like simple tasks. But again, we're not, you know, it's kind of, 
kind of a far cry from Rosie. Yeah. And although, you know, he Rosie vacuumed too. That's true. Um, you know, and I, was, I was thinking about the robotic critters like Ibo, yep. Sony's dog. Sure. And uh, Pleo. Pleo, yeah. Who, really cool. Who, you know, it may not think, but it is pretty scary. I, I don't advocate you do this, but if you really want to, if you're really twisted enough to do this, go online to YouTube. And there are videos of people torturing Pleo. And it screams. <laughs> And it's really awful. It'll keep you up. At it's night. it's sad, and I don't I don't know exactly why they uh, they threw that in there, but it is really depressing. All right, well, staying staying on the robots <laughs> and trying to move away from well, actually, this isn't moving away from depressing at all. No, but um, no. Android Army robots. What oh. the heck are those? We don't have any of those. Cybermen. Yeah, the, 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 Doctor the Terminator. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. if you will. Um, we don't really Cylons. have any of those. We do have military robots. That's um, true. That's true. That's but they true. look more like. Kind of miniature tanks, really. You're um, welcome. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the uh, the miniature tanks, uh, they tend to be used mainly for reconnaissance or rescue missions. Um, you send them into areas that you know are are dangerous. Either they're perhaps landmines or other explosive devices, or the the area you're sending it in is structurally unsound. Sure. You wouldn't want to necessarily send a human being in there, so you nope. send a robot in instead. It's a lot easier to replace a robot. Um, it's just money, right? It's just yeah. money and parts. Oh, it's so much better to use a robot in those cases. But again, we're talking about robots that don't really have a lot of autonomous functionality. They can't really make decisions on their own. Now, you could program them where you could program a sentry robot where it essentially fires on anything that comes in its field of vision. But again, that's not really making a decision. <laughs> it's just recognize a target and fire at it. True. I mean, that's what the uh, unmanned aerial vehicles do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in missions in uh, in the Middle East and Iraq and Afghanistan, there's actually a group of people here in the United States who are operating those those. They're not robots, I guess. Technically, they're more like uh, remote controlled airplanes. Right, well, they are remote controlled airplanes. But I mean, they've got the cameras on them, and somebody's moving them, and that's essentially what these uh, uh, other devices are doing. The bomb squad, sure, robots, and the uh, military robots that go in and test for landmines and stuff like that. Right. So they're yeah, not really actually, doing their own thing. Yeah. Not like so a big still, track that you still send into far, uh, far away from autonomous robots. Some people would say that's a good thing because, you know, Terminator, bad in general. Okay. 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 Flying cars. Flying cars. Where's our flying car? Michael Jackson was supposed to buy one back in the 80s. You remember hearing that story? No. You never heard that story? I never heard that oh story. Oh, my gosh. I heard I, other stories about Michael there, Jackson, there were, well, that's not those, one of the ones I heard. The, one of the stories about Michael Jackson, one of the, the – you know, I mean, it's a little crazy, but not like, woo So one of the cr- stories about Michael Jackson was that he was interested in buying an, a flying car. There was this um, couple of different inventors at the time who were talking about the possibility of a flying car, and it was just around the corner. This is in the 1980s. And, and Michael Jackson said he wanted to be the first person to buy that. Um, you know, that's not surprising. You've got celebrities who buy the first something of whatever, like Schwarzenegger bought the first civilian Humvee. So, I mean, it and, does happen. And but, Stevie Wonder bought the, uh, first, uh, book reader for, uh, for the blind right. from uh, Ray Kurzweil. I it's heard amazing about that. That was right off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's not unusual, but the problem is that the flying cars just haven't really, I hesitate to use the word surfaced. Well, <laughs> we have an article called How Flying Cars Will Work by uh, Kevin Bonsor. That's true. And uh, you can look at that. Uh, there are flying cars. Right. Uh, they there use are basically, They basically used fans, right. giant fans. Kind of giant hover 
craft really is what they end up being. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's not a, not a back to the future style flying car. Not so much. No, you're, you're, you're hovering. You're not really flying, I'd say. But you know, George Jetson makes it look so easy. And, uh, he does. That's, uh, the problem is, uh, with the flying cars is the one that we all eventually come to when we start thinking about how nice it would be when you take your flying car to work and you're the only one in the air and, if everyone has flying cars, everyone's in the air. That's right. How do you legislate that? How do you control that? What happens when one of them gives out when your neighbor is flying over your house? Yeah, the entire sky becomes the road. Yeah, it's kind of there's a no there's no single pathway to follow. That's one of the things about yeah. you know car travel makes it easier to handle than than flight is because you know you've got you've got very limited. Places where people can go. You can yeah. legislate that. You can control control that. How do you control it when everyone's got their own miniature airplane? Apparently where we're going, we do need roads. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, we probably need computer-controlled vehicles to take the human element out of it because just thinking about everyone owning their own flying car is yeah. kind of frightening. Yeah. There is, There are some that are out there. The uh, M200G Volanter. Have you heard about this? I've was, heard a little of it. It looks like a little flying saucer. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've seen videos of it, and it's it's pretty neat. And they're talking about the possibility of ma- manufacturing these on a mass scale. It all depends on how many people order them. Right. So it's kind of a catch-22. They can't make them cheaper until people start buying them, but people aren't buying them because they're not cheap. Right. So that's Segway. probably where we're, you know, we're kind of going to be stuck on this. I think, yeah. I think we're just going to see those as kind of, you know, novelty vehicles, not, not like a your regular kind of vehicle. All right. I got another one for you. Okay, go ahead, shoot. Weather control. Oh yeah. Because you know, in the future, we're going to control the weather. So right. Where's that? There've been some attempts. China yeah. tried it. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. They, Another article we have on the site. Right. They tried to seed clouds to try and make it rain so that it would it rain in distant locations in China so that the rain would not eventually make its way to Beijing where the Olympics were being held, right? Right. Yeah, I don't know. How did that work out? Uh I, I didn't follow up on it, so not, I actually uh, don't know. <laughs> we'll have to look into it's, that and see if they were actually successful. Now granted, this is very primitive weather control. Yeah, it, it is it's sort of semi successful from what I understand. Yeah. The the point is to uh seed clouds with silver iodide. Right. And uh essentially what it does, if you know a little bit about how rain works, um the moisture in the air in the clouds gets so heavy that it can't stay up in the clouds anymore and falls down as rain. Well the point is to give the the uh, water molecules, something to condense on, so yeah, that they go ahead and fall. So yeah. you you make it rain before. earlier than it would have. Yeah, exactly. And try and get it to rain out before it hits whatever. Yeah. And I mean, this idea does have some merit. You could think, well, the problem is that it requires that there be moisture in the air already. Right. So you can't just say like, oh, we can solve the drought problem. Now you kind of need clouds with moisture in them above the drought area before you can actually cause it to rain. Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, we're still ways off on the weather control, too. Um, lunar base. How uh, are we yeah. doing with that lunar base? Uh, well, surprisingly, well, we don't have one. Oh. That's, that's the short answer. Shucks. But we're gonna have one. Awesome. <laughs> I know that NASA's really interested in it. NASA is really interested in it. And, and part of the reason that, uh, President George W. Bush was, uh, interested enough to say, hey, let's do this and actually, uh, get the ball sort of semi-rolling is that uh, they want to use it as sort of a jumping-off point to get to Mars. Yeah, it would be kind of a, a rest stop 
on the way to any other distant location. So when you get just past the moon, you sh- you can say, you should have gone when you're back at the moon. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, look, <laughs> we were just at the moon. Right. Why didn't you go then? Um, yeah, it's kind of the truck stop of the universe, or at least the solar system. Um, right. And yeah, there's, there are NASA does have plans to return to the moon. There's actually an amazing video on NASA's site. It's very inspirational um, about about using the moon as a, a a base for that kind of thing, and and just a you know a base in general, using it for everything from astronomy to uh, other scientific experiments. And um, and it's we got to see this video here at How Stuff Works in person. We had someone from NASA come to How Stuff Works and show this video. This might have been before you joined. I'm not sure. I think it is. Um, it was it was fascinating. Uh, the the man from NASA showed us the video and it was really, really inspirational and it is available on NASA's site. I highly recommend people check it out because um, it gets you excited about the space program, which is, you know, not, not only is it not a small task, it's also vitally important for NASA's funding. They True. have to get this kind of excitement um, in order to get the interest from Congress to get the funding they need to, to do these, these projects. That's why you start seeing these private projects pop up too. Like the X Prize Foundation, and oh, yeah. Google. That's true. You know, they have a, a contest for people, teams to send up a lunar rover up. Uh, so this would be a robotic rover, not a not a manned mission. Really, a, a robot, you say? Yes, uh, a robot <laughs> rover to the moon to um, to prove that private companies could do this just as well as a government group could. And India just launched its first unmanned mission to the moon. That's true. So um, so there is a renewed interest. So a lunar, a, a lunar uh, uh, community is not outside the realm of believability. And it'll still be a couple decades off probably. But uh, So we're not there yet, but we're still heading there at least. We haven't gotten off track. And you know, you mentioned Tex Avery cartoons at the beginning. Yeah, I, th- I went back and watched one, uh, the Car of Tomorrow. Now oh, yeah. we should we should stress that these cartoons were meant just as kind of poking fun at the idea of what the future would look like. Well, that that's that's true because this was it, it was actually sort of a reaction to all the articles about you know what's going to happen in you know 1950s America and right. what's going to happen in the year 2000. What's, right. Yeah. You know, so these were these were meant like, specifically to poke fun at oh, that. Yeah. They were just meant for laughs. They were not meant to be taken seriously, and yet. There are a couple of them that have come true. Really? Or at least are in the prototype stage. Yeah, there was, there was one car. One of the cars was a, uh, a, a, a car that could have rotating tires to solve the parallel parking problem. (laughs) Right? So that you would, you would be driving and then your, your tires would rotate so that they were now perpendicular and you would just slide in sideways directly into the parallel parking spot. I was going to say, aren't all car tires rotating? Well, rotating. But you mean the other direction. Right, exactly. Not not just, yes. <laughs> they could change change right. the axes there. I, so I, that I didn't want to you know break it to you. That- right. Hey, guess what? We have that. <laughs> um, well, there's a prototype now. Uh, there was. It's actually a car concept. It's not even a proto- prototype, but it's called the NASA car concept. And the idea here is that the tires would move so that you're no longer facing forward. They actually face to the left and right so that you could roll immediately to your right and parallel park without having to do that nasty little shuffle maneuver. Yeah, I hate that actually. Yeah. So, a I mean, lot. that's that was one that was just meant as a joke in this Tex Avery cartoon, and yet someone's really working on a way of, of potentially addressing Making this issue. Happen. Yeah. And there's another one. There was a, a folding car where when you get to where you're going, it folds up into a tiny little square and you put it in your pocket. Okay, so we're not really going to that level. <laughs> I mean, there's some other issues that we would have to – 
to address before that. What, like repealing the laws of physics? Exactly. That would be a big <laughs> one. But there's the idea of the city car from MIT, which is a folding car. It's not meant as a personal vehicle. You, you would kind of rent it for your time while you're at the car, uh, while you're in the city, rather. So you're, you go to the city, you rent this little car, and you drive it around. And when you return it, it folds into a line kind of like the way shopping carts fold uh-huh. up to each other. So you would actually come up and you you take the one on the end. Obviously, when you rented one, you take whichever one was on the end, drive it around, drive it into the the little docking station, and it would fold up with the rest. So, again, you know, not as far-fetched as Tex Avery thought, probably. All right. And there was another one. There was a boat car, a car that was part car, part boat that could drive through nasty, nasty weather. We could talk about the um, the scuba car. The oh, yeah? scuba car. We've got an article on that. It's the car that's a submarine car. It can go <laughs> underwater. So again, Tex Avery, you know what? Not that far off. There you go. Strangely enough. Yeah, you know, he wasn't the only uh, animator who was interested in the future. There nope. are quite a few Disney sure. uh, pieces on that. As a matter of fact, it was a big thing. Well, Tomorrowland, you know, in Disneyland and at Walt Disney World um, and Disney the Moon, which is uh, opening next year. Um <laughs> Okay, maybe Wait, not. seriously? The, no, it's in the future. Dang. Um, I was going to start planning my trip. It's in a giant dome. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, there was a, an episode of Disneyland, uh, which was the show Disneyland. Right. Um, called Magic Highway USA. And uh, I actually watched this before it was pulled down for copyright infringement. Right. Called The Road Ahead. And it talked about uh, color-coded expressways and uh, cars that you could basically get in and it would take you to where you're going. And um, long-time How Stuff Works podcast listeners might remember I brought this up on a Stuff You Should Know episode in which Josh Clark and I talked about his article, Will There Be a New Kind of Taxi Cab in the Future? Well, personal rapid transport mm. is actually a form of this. And what it would do is uh, it's it's like a little car that you get in. And it doesn't look like a little car. It looks very futuristic. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. But it's on a track. And you say, okay, I want to go to, and you give it the address for work. Well, you're the little car gets on the track and it's coordinated with all the other cars. Uh, so it basically knows not to go too fast or too slow. And it takes you to where you're going. When you get out, you, uh, you leave it and that's, it's not really your, let's say personal, it's not yours, but, uh, it's basically just you and it takes you where you want to go. And it would require a lot of infrastructure right. as you can imagine, because it would have to be a track going to everybody's house and every, uh, every location. location. Yeah. But it's uh, kind of like the minority report. I remember there were yeah. vehicles in the minority report that were very much like that. They would even go up and down buildings. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and it's being tested out in a couple places and, um, you that's know, pretty cool. And apparently it's very cost efficient as far as building out the infrastructure. It's less than, than building light rail. So, so, so when it comes to where the hell's my future, at least the car stuff is, is, Falling into line pretty well. Yeah. As oh. Floating cities, not so much. No. No, I, I read about this a few years ago. It was a, the idea was uh, proposed by a man named Norman Nixon of a, a the Freedom Ship, which was an, an enormous ship. It could hold 50,000 people, and it was a floating community. It's not meant as like a cruise ship or anything like that. You would actually live there, and there would be workspace and, and living space. And um, visiting his website uh, seems they ran into a few problems. They, oh, yeah? they trusted some people with their money that maybe they should not have trusted. Uh, <laughs> and they trusted some engineers that maybe they should not have trusted. And at any rate, this dream is still well within the dream phase. Um, it doesn't sound to me like they've made a whole lot of progress. They're still determined to try and make it work. 
but I think it's going to be another few decades before we hear anything firm about the freedom ship if, if it doesn't just disappear altogether. Well, the freedom ship does sound exciting and new. Nice. I'd like to uh, come aboard. They're expecting I, me. I, I have one more, but uh, I wanted to ask if you had any before I did my final one. Okay. Uh, well, I, I was thinking of a couple. Uh, okay, yeah, let's go ahead. Uh, quick ones. I'll, I'll make them quick. Um, you know, there was this, this thing that uh, was proposed a couple hundred years ago called the Mundanium by Paul Otlet, and it would store – it would basically be a giant catalog of information huh. stored on, on, you know, essentially punch cards, cataloged cards. Sure. Uh, not really punch cards like in the uh, – Later on, uh, although uh, Vannevar Bush, who uh, was one of the uh, government's top scientists in the United States for a long time, worked with the uh, the atomic uh, bomb project and a lot of other different projects. He had this idea of a, a machine called the uh, Memex or Memex, I guess, um, and uh, th- it would be like you could – scan things in, documents in, and save them all on microfilm. So you could have uh, like a giant reader on your desk and you could pull up information from anywhere. I think I see where this is going. I mean, have you heard anything <laughs> like this? Well, it's what we pretty much do our research on now, huh? It actually well exceeded paper? their expectations. <laughs> do you research on paper? <laughs> tree killer. No, no, no. Of course, uh, you all by now who have downloaded this podcast on the internet – know what I'm talking about. But there you go. There's an instance in which uh, we've actually surpassed uh, both of these um, scientists' expectations. And I'm sure that both of them would have, if they had lived to see it, would have been very pleased. Actually, Vannevar Bush lived into the internet age, but only very slightly. Um, so, you know, he would probably be pretty darn impressed with yeah. what's going on. Sounds, t- sounds um, like it. And, uh, of course, you know, there's the uh, Monsanto House of the Future to – Mention another Disney nice. term. Yes. Of course, we have the, uh, uh, you know, different uh, modern furniture. Right. You know, but really that's not And home so automation much. has made some progress, though oh, not to the point true. where arms come out of the wall and, and make your dinner for you. Yeah, I, I'm waiting for the little mechanical arms to come shave me in the morning right. while I'm eating my toast in yeah. front of the mirror. Instead, we just have like temperature control and lights and things like that. Yeah, yeah we, we still Which got is sort of House of the Future-ish. I think that uh, – you know, the little arms were more cartoony, maybe. Jetson-y. I'm, I'm still holding out hope. Okay. Well, I, here's my final one. Here's right. how I know that the future really did fail us. Okay. Okay. It's because in the 1990s, we did not manage to shoot Khan off into space in exile aboard the Botany Bay. <laughs> okay. Khan is not out there. So Kirk cannot encounter Khan and then put him on SETI Alpha 5 and imprison him there and then encounter him again later in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which we all know was the best of the Star Trek movies, Next uh, Generation included. Okay, maybe I should switch back to stuff you should know. Maybe there's a slot. I'm just saying, <laughs> Khan! <laughs> all right, then. Oh, boy, future, you really you really let me down there. <laughs> all right, well, you know what? Um, I have nothing I can say to I that. I think that's going to make that any better. Well, how about we uh, go back? I'll tell you about that futuristic technology that really exists. I'm talking about liquid body armor. Okay. It's super neat stuff. I mean, we're talking about non-Newtonian fluids here. So these are fluids that when you make an impact, they don't behave like a normal liquid uh, where, you know, you would just hit it and your hand just goes through. They actually stiffen up and they they – distribute the force so that you can take a shot, like literally take a shot from a, from a gun 
and it distributes the force so that it doesn't kill you, which is pretty much what body armor is supposed to do, right? Right, except most of it isn't made out of cornstarch and water. That's true. But you can read about the stuff that is made out of liquid in our article about how liquid body armor works. That's written by Tracy Wilson, one of our good friends here, a talented writer at How Stuff Works. It's live right now at HowStuffWorks.com, and we'll talk to you again soon. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?